Hello and welcome again to the School of Surgery podcast on trauma. This podcast is on urological trauma and I'm joined by Mr. Simon Williams who's a consultant urology surgeon at Derby Hospital. So urological trauma is frequently encountered on both the urological and the general surgical take. So it's obviously important that surgical trainees have an understanding of how best to manage patients with these sort of injuries. So in this podcast, we'll mainly be dealing with bladder and renal trauma and we'll hopefully shed some light into which patients need urgent intervention and which can be observed or even discharged home. So we'll start, first of all, by talking about bladder injuries. So, Mr. Williams, um, first of all, what are the common mechanisms of injury which lead to bladder damage? Thank you. Far and away, the commonest uh, bladder injuries are caused by urological surgeons doing transurethral resections of bladder tumours or bladder biopsies. Other iatrogenic causes of bladder injuries would be during other forms of pelvic surgery, such as gynecological surgery, caesarean sections, and then colorectal surgery can cause bladder injuries. For this podcast, the more important injuries would be those from uh, blunt and penetrating trauma. The classic bladder injury is a passenger with a full bladder who has a head-on collision in a car and the seat belt squashes the bladder and causes a perforation in the dome of the bladder. Yeah, excellent, thanks. Um, so these injuries can result in bladder perforation, the injuries that you've mentioned, and I suppose the most important distinction to make is whether there's an intra- or an extraperitoneal perforation. Can you explain the difference between the two of those type of injuries and tell us how you would investigate a patient to make that distinction, so a distinction between an extra and an intraperitoneal perforation. Most of the bladder sits in the pelvis and uh, is not in contact with the peritoneum. The dome of the bladder is covered with peritoneum, and a perforation in the dome of the bladder will lead to urine collecting within the peritoneal cavity. So intraperitoneal perforations are much more important and require much more aggressive management than extraperitoneal perforations. The way for t- to tell the difference is to do a cystogram. Uh, in 2015, the commonest cystogram we'll ask for is a CT cystogram, where the bladder is filled with contrast via urethral catheter. But we still occasionally ask for an, uh, an old-fashioned cystogram Uh, particularly in patients who are unstable, who have multiple other injuries. It's important with a classic cystogram that drainage films are included as a small posterior perforation can easily be missed if the bladder is left full of contrast. Okay, so we've performed a a cystogram and decided that this patient has an intraperitoneal bladder perforation. How should they be managed Depending on the mechanism of injury, almost all intraperitoneal perforations will require a laparotomy, a washout of the peritoneum, some drains put in, and the bladder, an attempt will be made to close the bladder. With blunt trauma, it's often very difficult to see the defect in the bladder, but the important steps are to wash urine out of the abdominal cavity 
uh, ensure drainage and to uh, put in a decent urethral catheter and often a suprapubic catheter as well. Okay, great. And I think, well, following on from that then, um, how would we manage a patient with an extra peritoneal perforation? How would that differ? Extra peritoneal perforations can almost always be managed with bladder drainage with a urethral catheter for between four and ten days. Occasionally, to be absolutely sure the bladder is healed, a repeat cystogram would be done prior to removal of the catheter. Let's move on to renal trauma now. So in renal trauma patients, in terms of mechanism of injury, obviously you're going to be talking about a blunt or a penetrating injury, which is more common when it comes to renal trauma? The kidneys are well protected by uh, ribs and the muscles, and penetrating trauma to the kidneys is, is relatively rare. Um, blunt trauma is much, much more common, and perhaps 90 to 95% of renal injuries are due to blunt trauma. Okay, and what proportion of blunt renal injuries will require intervention, whether it's radiological or surgical exploration, compared with a penetrating renal injury? Blunt trauma is almost always managed conservatively. Uh, Occasionally, when patients uh, do have episodes of hypotension, then we request interventional radiological help and uh, selective embolization of bleeding points uh, is performed but surgical exploration for blunt trauma is a very rare procedure and I personally haven't performed that in 10 years as a consultant. Okay, great. If we think about a renal trauma patient, a stable renal trauma patient who doesn't have to go straight to theatre, who's fit enough to, or to undergo investigations, what, sort of, what is the imaging modality of choice for these sort of people? To properly stage uh, renal trauma, a CT with contrast is required, not only to to look at the renal trauma, but also to look for collateral damage, fractures of the the ribs, fractures of the uh, spine, splenic injuries, liver injuries all have to be excluded. And realistically, that requires a CT with contrast. Okay, so um, we've done the CT scan, and I think the sort of degrading mechanism of injury on CT ranges from one to five. Is there any particular grade of injury where you'd think we need to do an operation or some sort of intervention? Is there a, is there a cut-off, so maybe a three or a four, or even a grade five always require intervention, or doesn't really work like that? Grades one and two can definitely be treated initially with conservatively. Most grade three injuries are also treated conservatively, uh, a grade 5 injury is a, is a pretty rare injury and it's almost always associated with multiple other injuries um, and though grade 5 injuries and some grade 4 need expiration it's often at the same time as a laparotomy for other injuries OK, so with regards to the staging um, on the CT can you tell us a little bit about what that what the staging's looking at, how it's derived? Yes, the the, the, the fine divisions between the various grades are not something that are, are 
a, a general surgical trainee will need to know. However, a, a grade three injury is one which is involving greater than 50% of the renal cortex, and those, those can still normally be treated conservatively. A grade four injury is a complete disruption of the kidney, and a grade five injury is one where there is disruption of the hilum, so the, the, the artery and the vein are disconnected. Okay, that's very helpful. Um, so this gentleman with blunt we've decided can be managed conservatively. What does conservative management involve for um, renal trauma patients? Yeah, clearly these patients need to have uh, good IV access in case they get, uh, in case they become hemodynamically unstable. Uh, blood should be sent for a group and save if not a cross match. Patients should be managed with uh, bed rest initially uh, and occasionally antibiotics are given though the evidence basis for this is not strong. Okay, thanks. Moving on now, one of the most frequent referrals that we get as trainees for patients in whom a renal injury is suspected is often someone that has suffered a blunt abdominal injury, so blunt abdominal trauma, to the renal angle, and now has some hematuria. Do all of these patients in this sort of category need renal imaging? And if so, is it relevant whether they have visible or non-visible hematuria? With adults, uh, anyone with visible hematuria should have uh, a CT with contrast. For non-visible hematuria, it depends much more on the mechanism of injury. If there's a, a worrying mechanism of injury, they should have a CT scan. Uh, but, but in any case, this would be done looking for other injuries. The, with non-visible hematuria, the only investigation they really need is a follow-up with their um, general practitioner after six weeks or so to ensure that the non-visible hematuria has settled as there is always a possibility that they've got long-standing non-visible hematuria and the trauma is a red herring. Obviously, with non-visible hematuria, there is a chance that they have some sort of renal disease or perhaps more importantly, a urological malignancy which would need to be diagnosed. Okay, thanks very much. We're going to take the same sort of patient, so a patient with a renal trauma, renal injury, but this time we're going to assume they're hemodynamically unstable despite resuscitation. They're not in a condition where they can go for imaging. They're taken straight to theatre as per the ATLS guidelines. What incision would you make to explore a likely renal injury? I'd do a full midline laparotomy incision. Uh, if they're unstable, uh, though a renal injury is a possibility, uh, perhaps more likely is a splenic or hepatic injury, and those would be much better served with a midline laparotomy. Okay, so, so this, so that differs, does it, from the, um, the sort of the rooftop incision during elective work or elective um, nephrectomies? Yeah, for, for, a, um, for a nephrectomy, the vast majority of nephrectomies are now performed laparoscopically and we only do open nephrectomies for truly huge or um, complex renal cancers and, and the access from a rooftop incision to the 
kidney is better than a midline laparotomy, uh, in my view. But for trauma, uh, a midline incision should always be used. Excellent. Thanks very much. So in this hemodynamically unstable patient and that we've taken straight to theatre, is there a role for an on-table IVU? With someone without any previous imaging, we do not know whether their contralateral kidney is present uh, and if it is functioning. Uh, a single 20-minute film after intravenous contrast will confirm the presence of a functioning contralateral kidney. So during expiration, if, the, if bleeding is encountered that cannot be controlled, a nephrectomy could safely be performed. Okay. If um, the patient needs a nephrectomy anyway, does it matter what the result of the IVU is? If someone is bleeding torrentially, then yes, they may need a nephrectomy and they then may need dialysis. But often there is a judgment to be made about whether the safest thing is to try and save the kidney or to perform a nephrectomy. With someone with a solitary kidney, uh, all efforts should be made to, to preserve that kidney even if it means uh, a prolonged surgery and a prolonged recovery. Someone with a, a good contralateral kidney, occasionally a, a straightforward nephrectomy uh, would be the treatment of choice. Absolutely. So um, if we do a laparotomy and we find that the patient has a non-expansile, non-pulsatile retroperitoneal hematoma, is this something that you would go on to explore? No, I wouldn't. Um, we have some f fantastic interventional radiologists in Derby, as many large units do. If there's further bleeding, um, a embolization of the bleeding points is normally possible. Um, as I've said previously, a, a busy renal surgeon, I have not explored a kidney for trauma in 10 years. And if I do explore one, the likely outcome is going to be an nephrectomy. So um, conservative management uh, is always the best approach. That's great. Thank you very much, Mr Williams.